0: Father, now we're turning our attention to the book. We've had our eyes on the throne. We've had our eyes on the Lamb. We've had our eyes on the heavenly hosts. And now, Father, we would turn our eyes with the help of the Holy Spirit to the book, to the book you gave us to explain your wisdom and ways to give us guidance and direction, to make us thrill at the exploits of those who trusted you with all their heart. So, Father, bring this book to life right now, today. Help us to understand it, to see in it the things you would have us see. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What book are we in specifically in the big book? Acts. Acts. Acts talks about action. It's a story of things that were done, not so much things that were thought, things that were preached, but things that were done. And today, and for the next several weeks, Luke, who wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the book of Acts, is turning our attention to the Apostle Peter. How many of you know who Peter was? What was his job before he became a disciple? Very good, very good. You know, there are Christian colleges, the kids don't know that. So you're right up there. He was a fisherman, along with some others. Do you remember his brother's name? Simon N. And Andrew. And their buddies who were fishermen with them? Gee, I don't even know why I bought, you know, we're... We're there, but what Luke is going to do now is turn our attention away from some of the stories he's been get- telling us about the beginning of the church. In the last several weeks, he introduced us to this really scoundrel by the name of Saul, who just hated the Lord, hated the church, hated anybody who believed in the Lord, until the Lord, Jesus himself, met Saul on the road to Damascus and just knocked. All of that right out of him. And Saul finds himself surrendering his life to the Son of God. And we've been listening to that. That story being told, explaining, explained to us. And we've been entering into that. And now, remember, (laughs) Saul was such a powerful preacher. Saul jumped in with both feet that by the time he got down to Jerusalem, he, uh, you know, he just stirred things up among the church and the folks that were already there. And some of the Jews that were there decided they just wanted to kill him and get done with him. And the believers put him on a boat and shipped him 400 miles away to his hometown of Tarsus. He will reappear in the story in a little bit. But right now, remember we saw last week, then... Luke says, after they shipped off Saul, the church enjoyed a time of peace. And some really great stuff happened during that time of peace. And as that time begins, Luke now turns our attention from Saul and how the Lord was working in his life and changing him and, and just dramatically influencing the church... Saul will go on through his life and write 13 books in our New Testament. The Holy Spirit just flooded him with truth that needed to be shared. But now, Luke turns our attention back to what's happening in the Jerusalem church and and the area right around it. And the key man there that he focuses on is Peter, the Apostle Peter. Peter, yes, you were right, the fisherman. Peter, the impulsive disciple. Peter, the one who on the night Jesus was arrested, cringed in fear in front of a lowly servant girl and denied that he even knew who Jesus was. However, it's also Peter who is the forgiven and restored one. That Jesus himself restored him to his place within the disciple band. Peter, the spokesman on the day of Pentecost, preaching the first sermon that was ever preached, explaining salvation through the name, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This Peter was a key leader, a key leader of the Jerusalem church. And this Peter himself was a writer of two different New Testament books, epistles to the scattered believers through the world. So now Luke, in our passage of the morning, is led by the Holy Spirit to recount for us two incredibly powerful miracles that Peter performed during that time of peace that we talked about, looked at last week, peace through the region, Peter and others were able to travel freely through Judea and Samaria and Galilee. Those are the three provinces where, that Luke said there was peace. The persecution against Christians had ended for a little bit. And so Peter, along with others, was able to to gather around and travel around. And I want us to see, and Luke wants us to see, two big miracles that the Lord performed through Peter. Now to help us get a, a clearer picture, I want you to picture Peter probably the way you've never pictured him. I want you to picture Peter as a giant teddy bear. Big, lovable guy as he ministered in the midst of this young church. Everybody loved him. Nobody was afraid of Peter. A lot of people were afraid of Saul. He had led to the murder of believers. He had thrown believers in jail. Before he was converted, he was a scary person and uh, probably never was a warm, fuzzy type anyway. Peter, Peter's just the opposite. Everybody loved him, and they loved it when he came around. So today, I want us to see Peter, as our title would say, stepping out into a world of need, just as Jesus himself would do. Just like Peter actually instructed us to do. And so today we have several key scriptures, and then I'm going to make reference to a couple of scriptures where other stories are told that if you jot them down, if they're not exactly on your sheet, you can spend the whole afternoon just reading up on these other stories that are examples of what we're talking about today, because we can't go through them all, but we'll highlight or mention several of them. A lot of stuff. But today's first key scripture is really not from the book of Acts. It's from the first letter that Peter wrote when Peter gave the instruction that uh, he himself was living his life by. And here we go, today's first key scripture, 1 Peter 2.21, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Be like Jesus leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. I'm saying today that is a life-altering motivation. Why am I living my life? Why am I here? It's to follow in the steps of Jesus Christ and live an earthly life that would be comparable to his. Now, that's an incredible task. No matter what our job is as believers, the Bible would say that's our actual task Peter was affected by that so Peter wrote it to the whole church he said all of you believers Christ left you an example that you should follow in his steps now Peter had first been motivated by that life altering thought way way back when Jesus met him the very first day it was beside the sea of Galilee Peter and Andrew had just come in from fishing. James and John were right there on the shore with them, also fishermen. They'd fished all night. Now it was morning, they're getting their nets ready, all dried out, put away for the next night's work. And Jesus comes up to Peter at the moment that would start a three-year earthly relationship, a companionship that they would have. And do you remember the first words, what they were, that Jesus said to Peter? He said, come, follow me. That completely changed Peter's life. Altered his life. Gave him a motivation for living that he previously had not had. But everything's changed when Jesus said those words. Come, follow me. It's recorded in uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 17. And that would be our second key scripture of the morning. Come, follow me. And that's what Peter did. The Bible says all four of them actually just dropped their nets, kind of gave up on what they were doing, and just started literally, physically, following him, going wherever he went and, and letting him set the pace, let him choose the direction, let him set the agenda for the day. And for three years, basically, they just followed him. Peter saw and heard everything Jesus did. Now, on one hand, you'd say that's pretty easy. Pretty easy once you get past leaving your old life behind. All he had to do is walk walk after Jesus, walk with Jesus, follow him, pay attention. He heard everything and he saw everything that Jesus did. And then three years later, near the end of Jesus' ministry, where he knew his disciples have had their eyes and their minds and their hearts filled with all the things they had seen and heard, it's recorded in John chapter 14, verse 12. Our third key scripture of the morning says this Jesus speaking, anyone who has faith in me. How many of you have faith in Jesus? good, good. You believe he's the son of God? I didn't say you're living like Jesus. You just got faith in Jesus, right? You know he's the son of God. You know he died on the cross. You know that he lived a perfect life so that when he died on the cross, he could take your place. And we believe him. We believe in him. Now, this is Jesus talking. Anyone, so obviously, kind of includes all of us. But Jesus, first off, was talking to his own disciples. So Peter would say, hey, he means me. He means Andrew. He means all of us. We believe in him. We spent three years having that faith grow and grow and grow until, man, we we absolutely believe. Peter one day would say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's believing in Jesus. So Jesus says, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. he will do even greater things than these. Peter's life was altered when Jesus just said, come follow me. All you got to do is pay attention, follow him, go where he goes. How much more would his life be altered if he actually was hearing Jesus say, live like me. Do what I've done. In fact, even do some things that are greater than what I've done. Now that would have been so far beyond Peter's ability to even wrap his mind around it that he would understand his life would be altered even more if uh, that were really his assignment from here on. A motivation to do what Jesus had done when Jesus was here. So now we come to our fourth key scripture of the morning, which really is the account in the book of Acts. And as we read it now, we see Peter himself stepping out like Jesus did. And we see Peter keeping with both Jesus' initial directive follow me. And with his later declaration, you shall do even greater things than I have done. Now, as I read this, as you follow along, see if you can find any similarities. As we see what Peter did, see if in your mind anything pops in and says, oh, Jesus did that. Jesus did. I remember when Jesus did something just like that. Peter is doing just what Jesus did. Just test yourself. But here we go. The story is told. It begins Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Let me read it for you. Two powerful miracles are described in this passage. So Luke says, as Peter traveled around the country, see there was some free movement now. It was a time of peace. As Peter traveled around the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up and those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. They turned to the Lord. Powerful impact. In Joppa... There was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died. Now, just an aside here, she was a true believer, right? She was a godly woman, right? She was doing good. She was serving the Lord. She was blessing people. She was just one of your top saints in the church. How in the world could she get sick and die? Is it because we Christians still live in a fallen, broken world where germs and stuff are all around and we're not divinely protected from all kinds of trouble? Certainly Tabitha wasn't. It says about that time that Peter was traveling around there, she became sick and died. Her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Now Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please, come at once. Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. And then turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes. And seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. End of our story. Now, I believe, as we just observe Peter functioning in this way, that we can find in this story what I'm calling today three key Christ honoring and Christ modeling qualities, meaning Peter was doing the same kind of stuff Jesus did. And he was modeling to those who were around, who very likely had never seen Jesus Christ, he was modeling for them what Jesus Christ was like. Here again, Peter's statement written near the end of his life to all of us Jesus left us an an example that we should follow in his steps. Now, I believe those two miraculous encounters show Peter to be a true follower of Jesus himself. Truly one who could be called, as all of them would be called in time, a Christian. A little Christ. A junior Christ. One like Jesus. Well, let's work through those two miracles and just see what uh, qualities, characteristics we can find. First of all, I would say, like Jesus, Peter demonstrated initiative. Initiative with Aeneas. It says, there he found. See, nobody was sent to get Peter. Peter found an Ananias, Aeneas, excuse me, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter took the initiative. We don't know how this came about, but he found this man who was in a terrible condition and he initiated action to address his need. Did Jesus ever do that? Did Jesus ever just initiate, find troubled people and kind of step right in and and solve their problems and help them and bless them? Well, I got a couple of them here. How often? How often, in fact, Jesus found the needy one and initiated the encounter? Consider Jesus' encounter with the demon-possessed man. The story is told in Mark chapter 5. This poor man completely out of control, completely dangerous. He's the one the townspeople would chain up so he wouldn't hurt anybody, including himself, but he would break the chains. He cut himself with stones. He shouted, he hollered, he, he was dangerous. He was living off in a cemetery among the tombs. And Jesus comes by. Stories told in Mark chapter 5. Jesus comes by with his disciples, and this man comes running out of the tombs like that he's just going to destroy them all. And the Bible then says just this little thing. Because as the man came running out ferociously, the demon inside of him screams out, Who are you, Son of God? Do not persecute us. And then the writer says, Mark just puts a little paragraph, little parentheses there that kind of says, for Jesus had instructed that demon to come out of him. Jesus had initiated that from a distance. Come out of him, you unclean spirit. Leave this man alone. And the spirit controlling this violent man comes running out of the tomb as though he's going to just tear Jesus from limb to limb. Leave us alone. Leave us alone. Who are you? We know who you are, son of God. Jesus initiated that. And by the time the whole story is told, the scripture says, and the friends of this man later on came by, and there was this man sitting in his right mind, fully clothed, healed. Jesus could have kept just walking right on down the road way in the back of the cemetery. There's this crazy man, this demon-possessed man, this horrible man hurting and and probably not going to live much longer. And Jesus says, I can do something about that. I can do something about that. And he initiated That healing. How about when the story is told in Luke chapter 7, where we just call this lady the widow of Nain? Jesus is walking along with his disciples into this city of Nain, and coming out of the city toward the cemetery is a procession. And here's a dear, sweet lady behind the, the cart that is carrying her son. She herself is a widow. He was all she had to provide a living for herself and somehow this young man has been killed and this woman who has nothing left is walking along beside it, weeping uncontrollably. And Jesus says that, sees that, and says, here's a situation I can do something about. And he walks over to that cart and he takes a hold of that young man and he lifts him back to life and presents him back to his mother who no doubt he was able to care for for all the rest of her life. Initiative. See, in these moments, and there are moments in life where the key motivating thought to Jesus Christ, the key motivating thought in this story to Peter, the key motivating thought that might come to any one of us in a situation is to say, here is a situation that I can do something about. That can be a powerful thought. When it takes possession of your mind. Numa, the Spirit of God, frequently walks us right into those kinds of situations. Sometimes it's the Spirit of God who actually has to help us, and he says, you know, this is a situation you could do something about. Who's that? My day is full. You know, that would be inconvenient. This is a situation you could do something about. Frequently, it's the Spirit of God who, who kind of takes the initiative for us. He puts us there. And then he reminds us. He opens our eyes, just like he can open our eyes to the Word of God. He can open our eyes to the world around us. And all of a sudden, we say, I could do something about this. This is horrible. This is terrible. This is, this is something that, that needs to be addressed. Wait a minute, I could do something about this. Surely it was the Spirit who led Peter to our paralyzed man. Just like he had led Jesus to the demon-possessed man and to the heartbroken woman. Initiative. It's a Christ-like trait. Nothing gets done without it. Now, secondly in this story, Peter's story, um, As Peter was walking in the footsteps of Jesus, Peter showed his responsiveness. That comes into play quite quite frequently when something is asked of us. How will we respond? Now, this would be with Tabitha. Here we read, she, that is Tabitha, became sick and died. They... Her friends, after she died, they sought out Peter once they knew he was right down the road in a nearby town, and they urged him, please come at once. You wonder, what did they possibly think he could do? But it says Peter went with them. He responded to their urgent pleading. Again, I'd say, this was the Holy Spirit at work, stirring people's heart to respond to their request when it would seem like it's already too late to do any good, except maybe to comfort the grieving. But you could say, well, that would be a good thing to do, would it not? If you could bring some kind of comfort to those who were grieving. All these people that Dorcas, Tabitha had so lovingly served and now she's gone and it leaves this big gap in their fellowship. If there's a way you could come in and just comfort those who are still there. You know, Peter could have come in and assured them that there is life after death and remind them that he had personally seen the Lord Jesus after his death due to his resurrection. Tabitha, even now, he could say, is in the Lord's presence. What a comfort that could have been. This is first years of the early church. They're not well acquainted with Christian funerals. And much of the scripture that we quote hadn't even been written yet. Peter could have gone in there and just provided a comforting truth that could put their hearts at ease. However, the point at this point in the story is that they who called for help were responded to by Peter. Peter went with those who came to get him even if he was asking himself, why? What can I possibly do? Did Jesus ever do that? Jesus ever respond to people who came to get him when, uh, you know, he had other things he was doing? How many times Jesus responded to those who entreated him? Remember how he responded to the synagogue ruler. That story is told in Mark chapter 5. There's a lot of stuff in Mark chapter 5. And the ruler comes to Jesus and says, My little girl is dying. Turns out she was 12 years old just about to enter into womanhood. So many children die in their infancy. So many children in those days never made it past those horrible childhood diseases. And this young girl is just about to enter into adulthood. And, and the parents, I no doubt, have breathed so many sighs of relief. And then she's struck with something that is threatening, life-threatening, My little girl is dying, he says to Jesus. And the scripture tells us, Mark chapter 5, and Jesus went with him. Jesus went with him. How can you turn down someone who is so desperate while there's still some hope? How about the time ten lepers came to Jesus? These are men who have skin conditions, leprosy that's incredibly contagious, and they're not allowed. They're not allowed in society any more than the demon possessed man was allowed to walk freely through town. And they approached Jesus and said, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Look at us. Have pity on us. We can't live a normal life now and we are going to die a horrible death. Jesus, Master, could you have pity on us? And Jesus says to them, you have to understand what he's saying here because in the Old Testament, those with diseases like this, only the priest could examine and, and declare a person cleansed. So... As you go through whatever it is, you then go to the priest and the priest would examine you and say, look, looks like you're through it. Look like you're fine. You can return back to your home. So Jesus says to them, fellas, go show yourself to the priest. He's going to find you got nothing. He's going to declare you clean. Go show yourself to the priest. You've been taken care of. You see, the key motivating thought in all these circumstances is here are people, not just in trouble, that I've become aware of, here are people who are beseeching me to help. They've identified me. They are asking me to help them. What a situation to find yourself in. Approached by those who see you as their solution. Are you? Can you be? Should you be? Sometimes you might feel like you're completely out of your league. Like there's nothing that you can do. But you hear the Spirit saying to you, Respond to their request. I have something planned. I have something planned. Then again, sometimes you're called upon to do the very thing that tickers do best. The thing you can do, that you do all the time. Everybody knows how good you are at it. And you're approached because you're so good at doing the thing that these people desperately need done. And in cases like that, the Spirit whispers into your heart, Respond. Respond to their request, I have prepared you for this. Responsiveness. When people ask. It's a tremendous Christ-like trait. And nothing gets done without it. Now thirdly, finally this morning, we see Peter, like Jesus, ministering with I love this word, tenderness. Ministering with tenderness. Again, it's exampled with Tabitha. It says, he, Peter, sent them all out of the room. All the ladies who were themselves just crushed with sorrow. And they're showing him what great things Tabitha has done. How Dorcas, her other name, how she'd made clothes for them. Probably just clothed them. These are widow ladies with very, very little. And she made sure they had enough. Oh, how marvelous she had been. And these people are heartbroken that that she's died. And, And Peter just clears the room. Sends them all out. And it says, and then he got down on his knees and he prayed. And when he was finished praying, he turned toward her and said, Tabitha, See, he didn't use some Greek name. Maybe they all called her Dorcas. Her mom and dad called her Tabitha. Her brothers and sisters called her Tabitha. That was her name. And Peter says, Tabitha? Tabitha? Get up. Get up. And he took her by the hand and helped her up. As I read that, it makes me think how often... How often Peter had seen that same tenderness in Jesus. Jump back to Mark chapter 5. This is the synagogue ruler himself. Remember, they were halfway to the synagogue ruler's house, and people came from the house and said, "Eh, forget it. She's dead. She died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. For heaven's sakes, this is the prophet. This is the teacher. I'm surprised he came with you in the first place, but forget it now. She's dead. This man probably almost collapsed to the ground. And Jesus turns to him and he says, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Oh, what words... What words to a man who who was fearing the loss of his daughter and now being told there's nothing more she's gone she's succumbed. And Jesus just says to him just believe. You came to me and I'm going with you. You just believe that you've done the right thing. Don't be afraid of anything. We'll just continue on our journey. You can read, you can read that whole story this afternoon. Read all of Mark chapter 5. Both of these great stories are in it. When they got to the house, all the people said, what are you doing? They're already playing their wailing songs on their instruments. They already have the official mourners who are there crying and going through whatever they go through. And Peter, Peter saw Jesus just empty the room. Everybody out. And Jesus let Peter and James and John go into the room with him. And he saw Jesus come beside the bedside of that little girl and speak to her so softly. Little girl, I say to you, Mark five forty one, little girl I say to you not only had he been tender to the dad but now he's in the home and he just says little girl today one of our words you know just whatever affectionate word you might use for your own children Jesus used one like that to her little girl, I say to you, arise. And he took her by the hand and he lifted her up and returned her to her parents. As tenderness is part of the picture, I find this key motivating thought. Bring them as you're seeking to minister to those who have come to you or those that you have found in real trouble. Bring them through this as gently as possible. Yeah, don't walk in when you're going to help somebody out and say, man, you really messed up this time, didn't you? You're going to owe me big time when we're done with this. Bring them through this crisis as gently as possible. What an attitude. What an attitude to possess. You see, tenderness, just like responsiveness and initiative, tenderness is a Christ-like trait. Nothing really gets done without it. So the desire of the Holy Spirit in all these circumstances is that those in need sense That Jesus himself has come to their aid. That he, as the shepherd of their souls, has guarded them from irreparable harm. And he's done that through some of his own people. His own people that yielded and strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit have wound up in that situation. And when the person is healed, when the person is helped, our message is, and I'm ministering in the name of Jesus Christ. He loves you. He died for you. He sent me by his Holy Spirit right now to be with you and to help you, but look to him. Look to him and say that as gently, but as truthfully, as lovingly, as you possibly can. And as a result, we come to our final thought today. We see Peter as an example of this. We've probably all seen people in our own lives who have been examples of this. We, by the stirring of the Holy Spirit in us, would want to be examples of this. It says, through his church, Jesus walks the earth again. Oh, may it be so. Continue to be so. In this place. Heavenly Father, as we bow before you now, we we are in awe of the way your spirit changes fallen men and women. We're in awe of the way that a, a properly given word at the proper time can completely change our minds, our thinking, can change our hearts, our feeling, can change our will, our desiring. And our life can be altered greatly, drastically, permanently. Father, we praise you for your work in the Apostle Peter. We praise you that such work in the early days of the church has been recorded. And Father, we know it's the same Spirit that would guide us into the moments of our life. Put us in situations where where we realize I I could do something about this. These people really need something done. And we need to do it gently and lovingly. Oh, Father, we thank you that Christ's church is a living thing. It's a body of believers who who move through this world guided by the Spirit of God and make an impact, have an effect, share truth, bring grace. Oh, Father, I, I thank you for so many in this church over the years who have been just those people. And our desire as a whole group is to be those kinds of people. And Father, we ask that we might truly be more and more and more the people that, that give evidence that Jesus Christ lives in us. His Spirit guides us. And they can be blessed as they believe in Him, as we do. We ask you this now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.